Thank you, Bryce. Um, I do have one, one more announcement. We, um, Brandon Colas and uh, Tanner worked really hard and we were able to purchase a 15 passenger van that is getting delivered tomorrow. And so um, really exciting. Uh, if you hadn't heard our uh, a partner church in Omaha, just really believed in, in us like praying and being like, hey, this might be something that God could use because so much ministry in this area depends on driving. And if people in, in nursing homes or um, just people who um, maybe don't have money for gas or, or in uh, like trailer park areas or whatever it may be, what, what we're praying and hoping is that God would show us basically on Sunday morning, uh, then the well Sunday night, uh, possibly our step study on Wednesday, to, to have a shuttle where we're able to, to bring people uh, who might not be able to come to one of our gatherings because of transportation, that, that the Lord's provided a great van for us that we'll use for the well winter weekend, our mission trips and stuff like that too. And so, so just to let you know, kind of two part. One is if you'd like to be involved in that team, um, we, we actually have Brandon Cole his college degrees in transportation logistics. And so he's agreed to help us uh, tackle the, the transportation logistics of that. But if you'd like to be a part of that team, if it's just riding in the passenger seat and talking to people, um, but then also if you know of anybody that you think would benefit from getting picked up um, and dropped back off uh, during any of those times, um, please let Brandon or me know and we'll, uh, Lord willing, start that next Sunday. So that'll be pretty exciting. We should have the van here and, and um, be a part of that. So we are here at the end of the book of Genesis. So we have spent almost two years um, kind of with some breaks here and there going through the book of Genesis and um, next Sunday, we're going to start a series that's called To the Church. And the idea of this, uh, we, we usually preach through books of the Bible like Genesis. Um, and then occasionally we'll, we'll have a, sh a shorter series that is from the Bible, but, but it's connected to, to, to some theme. And this one is being to the church. And kind of where that comes from is so many letters of the New Testament start by saying, you know, Paul, by the will of God, to the church in Ephesus. And, and you'll, you'll kind of have those formulas of, of this is God's word to the church. And so what, what, what we're looking at is basically what we're going to start for several weeks is what has God given to the church to lead us, to comfort us, to, to grow us, to give us meaning, to bring us together. And so we'll start with that next week, ne next week, but today is really this finale of this glorious book of Genesis. And if you're here for the first time, I'm trusting that, that you need to hear Genesis 50. <laughs> And that, uh, and you could listen to the, our other sermons if you, if you'd like online or on podcasts. Um, but I'm also a little sad today because I'm pretty sure, even though any of us at any time can open the book of Genesis and read it, I do think it's something special going through the book of the Bible. I remember when I was in seminary in Texas, I was at a church that preached through the book of Job. 
and they spent a year going through the book of Job. We gave, uh, actually it was so painful <laughs> in some ways that um, we gave the pastor a standing ovation when he said, this is our last Sunday. And we were like, thank you. You know, a great book. A year is a long time to go through the book of Job. And, um, uh, but I remember it. And I remember actually like the deep lessons that, that our church learned in that season and around 2001. And, um, and so I'm grateful for all that God has taught us in the book of Genesis. And I've heard from so many people that it's been surprisingly more impactful than people imagined. And I'm also sad because there are 65 other books for us to preach through. So there's a pretty good chance I'll never preach through the book of Genesis in my lifetime again. And so I'm like, Lord, thank you that you gave me the opportunity personally to preach through this book and, and along with the other guys who, who were a part of that. Um, but then also like, thank you, Jesus, for leading us in the ways you've led us through this book. And, and Jesus, we ask you in this finale of this book, and you designed this book to end this way, that would we be changed? And um, for your glory, we pray. Amen. So the way chap chapter 50 starts is that Jacob has passed away, and this huge group of, of people, huge group of Egyptian officials, plus all of Jacob's sons, basically everybody except the livestock and the kids, they go on this epic funeral procession for many, many, many miles, over 100 miles they're going on this funeral procession. And even archeologically and stuff like that, like the Egyptians did this. The Egyptians were known for these exquisite funeral processions that would go along, take a long time, be, be not just like one day of a funeral, but be weeks where people are mourning and traveling to where the person will be buried. And so what is happening at the beginning of chapter 50 is that they are weeping all the way to Canaan, to the promised land, and they're burying Jacob in the cave that his grandfather Abraham had bought, and where Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob's first wife Leah, are all buried in this cave, and Jacob will be the last one buried in this cave, the cave of Machpelah. And scholars, which is crazy, this is millennia ago, scholars believe that all of their bodies are still in this cave. Um, and there's a, there's a building that's been there for, I think, 1,300 years just you know, the same building on top of this cave. But one of the reasons they believe that their bodies are still there is because for millennia, um, the people who have been in charge of that area have all believed what scripture says about these people. And so, so they're like, there's no way they would desecrate those graves because all the people that have ever lived there uh, have in one way or another honored the, the biblical story of who these people are. And so, so they go there, they come back to Egypt, uh, then Joseph's brothers have one more interaction with him on the theme of forgiveness. Because Joseph's brothers now are like, dad's gone. 
And we really made Joseph's life. We tried to kill him. We trafficked him in human slavery. Um, He's been nice to us. And now, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Verse 16, so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Verse 17, so this is a bold-faced lie, just mind you. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. So we'll, we'll kind of pause there because it's, maybe these, maybe just like it started with one brother sending a text message, however they communicated back then. Maybe it was just one brother that was like, hey, I was thinking the other day, you know how Joseph has like forgiven us and been all that, but dad's gone now. I wonder if that's all been a show. I wonder if um, he just did that because of dad. And now that dad's gone, I wonder if it's all going to come our way. And maybe it was just one brother, and then the other brothers are like, well, I never even thought, well, I guess it makes sense. I mean, I mean I, you could be onto something there. And then it snowballed. Like, we don't know how they got to this point, but they're questioning Joseph's forgiveness now that dad is gone. Maybe what Joseph will want to do is revenge. Maybe what Joseph will want to do is, look how they say it, pay us back for all the evil we did to him, which is a lot. Because it wasn't just the act of selling him into human slavery instead of killing him, but it was all the stuff that then happened after that, right? You could kind of add all of that up to like an offense. So his, the brothers, what they do with this is they're like, let's forge some documents. This is the way that we will make this be okay. His brothers forge this plan to basically uh, impersonate their dad. And they say that Jacob's last command before he died was to tell Joseph to keep forgiving them to tell Joseph to forgive the sins of his brothers and all the evil that they've caused. And um, it's, you know, his brothers are trying to impersonate their dad to try to trick Joseph into forgiving them. This can't go wrong, right? Like, like I mean, this is like a recipe for disaster. Um, And I think his brothers, you know, I've wrestled this week with like, his brothers might have, their hearts might have been in in a genuine good place. It's not like they were maybe trying to be really mean and vindictive here. Like maybe they just truly kept feeling so like remorseful and repentant for what they did. And they just really want to keep being forgiven. Like even if we give the brothers the most benefit of the doubt, the brothers are definitely insecure about the extent of Joseph's forgiveness towards them. 
and they've taken matters into their own hands. And I love Joseph's response to this request of theirs. Look at verse 17, the last part of verse 17. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph sees through it, and Joseph just weeps. Joseph just weeps as they're speaking. Um, Joseph, we're going to see, Joseph had truly forgiven them. And I, I think if Joseph hadn't truly forgiven them, like this could have been a place where Joseph became angry. <laughs> Joseph could have gone from like forgiving his brothers to now being like, I had forgiven you, but now you're trying to manipulate me and you're using our dad who we just buried to manipulate me and to try and trick me into forgiving you? I think he could have been like, how dare you? How dare you lie to me? How dare you forge that? How dare you not trust me? I had forgiven you, but now I'm going to show you my wrath. I had forgiven you, but now it's time for you to get what you deserve. He could have done all that stuff. He does not, just to be clear. He does not do any of that. So like that was all easy for me to come up with what he could have done. It's like, why is this coming so effortlessly from me? Um, but he doesn't do that. And I think why he didn't do that is because he had genuinely forgiven them. Like the offense, the sin that had been committed against him like that offense had been paid for in full by his forgiveness. And what I pictured was like this lake, like Sailorville Lake, that's got like a big dam on one end of it. And like what could have happened in this moment is like Joseph to have this reservoir of a lake of fury and for this moment to now let it burst on his brothers. But what I love is like forgiveness had emptied that lake a long time ago. So when there was a, a budding up, Joseph just weeps because he's like, there's nothing here. There's, there's, there's nothing here of my wrath to pour out on you. And Joseph just weeps as they speak to him. Then look at verse 18. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Verse 21, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them. Look at that. This is Joseph. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
So as Joseph is weeping, I love that his brothers like are just drawn to him and they fall down before him. And this is, this is another fulfillment of the dream that Joseph had as a teenager. He's an a, older man now, but as a teenager, this dream he had of his brothers uh, falling down before them, him and, and, and even worshiping him. But what I love is as his brothers are falling down in front of him, Joseph sees himself clearly. And, and look, his first, he says, do not fear. He said, am I in the place of God? He's like, you, don't like, let's be servants of God together. Like, don't serve me. I'm not going to let you worship me for my forgiveness of you. Like, we're on level ground. We're, we're humans here. We're not, I'm not God. You're not God. Let's not be in the place of God here. Let's be servants of God. And let's, like, don't serve me. We'll serve him together. Then verse 20, and you can tell, like, Joseph has been living this. He didn't, like, just think of it for the first time, probably, at this moment, Verse 20 is one of the most iconic verses in the entire book of Genesis. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And I mean, that is such a powerful statement. Maybe it might resonate with parts of our story, parts of our lives, um, it, sometimes when you like look at the Hebrew, this was originally written in Hebrew. Sometimes when you look at like how the Hebrew's written, it's like, oh yeah, it's exactly the same. <laughs> you know, they, um, but other times, like you, like there's some nuance that at times is missed. And when I looked into it in this instant, it really blew me away how majestic the Hebrew is here. So what the literal translation is is Joseph says, "You were meditating evil against me." you were meditating evil against me. You were sitting around dreaming up the evil you guys could do towards me. You were meditating evil against me. And then the Hebrew says, Elohim was meditating good. <laughs> you were meditating evil against me. Elohim, which focuses on his power, that name focuses on his but Elohim was meditating good, meditating good on my behalf. And dang, I would love, love, love for us to live this way. Even if people are genuinely meditating evil that they can do against you, even if someone is genuinely meditating evil they can do against me, even if we're our worst enemies, to ourselves that we can confidently know like God is meditating good for me. God is meditating good for us. He speaks about how God is saving them. They don't have to be afraid. God will use Joseph to provide for them and for their families. And the last thing that we see, like the last scene we see of Joseph's relationship with his brothers in scripture is Joseph comforting them. And then Joseph speaking kindly to them. I mean, picture that. It's the ones who have most hurt him that because he has forgiven them and because of maybe even their shame for what they've done, that Joseph is even able to comfort them 
and to speak kindness towards them. And man, like, I, I want to be that person. <laughs> As the book of Genesis is coming to a close, like, this is what God wants the original recipients to be thinking about as they're leaving 400 years of slavery, getting ready to form a new nation. And and as we are taught to pray things like, would it be done on earth as it is in heaven? We're we're taught to the church that, that we're to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. We're to be a lighthouse And I love that as Joseph's story is coming to a close and he is speaking kindness and comforting people who have sinned against him. Man, as as our stories are coming to a close, I don't want to be a bitter old man. I I don't want to be an isolated older man. I want to be an older man who with the comfort that I am comforted with, I'm able to comfort others in community. Realizing what, is, what God has done for us, seeing God's hand as far stronger than any human hands against us in our lives, and forgiving each other, and comforting and speaking kindly to those who once were enemies. Joseph could say, my brothers were my top enemies, and my life shows that. And for him to, at the end of his life, be comforting and speaking kindly to those who were enemies and are now friends, truly being God's family together. Then verse 22, so Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And just as an aside, uh, we talked about Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament last week. Instead of like a hall of fame, Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith that really highlights the faith of those in the Old Testament who walked with God. And uh, Joseph, man, you could make movies about, about so many places in his life when he was a younger man. And what Hebrews 11 highlights is that verse. I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob that Joseph simply saying, the story's not over. This chapter of my story is ending and the story's not over. And Hebrews 11 says, that is faith in Joseph to pay attention and to emulate. Verse 23, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear or verse 25, sorry. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph has a large part of his life, decades, it seems, here at the end of his story, where he's just living with his family. 
And it doesn't seem in this passage that, that Joseph has the level of influence in the Egyptian government. He used to be like the prime minister of Egypt. And it seems like that has waned. And it seems like either maybe when the famine was over, his influence in society was not what it used to be. Uh, other scholars think that, that uh, the pharaohs were changing and that, that he, there was a new administration where he's still living a comfortable life, but he's not in the administration anymore. We don't know about exciting things happening in Joseph's life, but what we do know, which is beautiful that we can see here, is that God was close to Joseph and Joseph was close to him. And Joseph speaks to his brothers in verse 24, which likely, since Joseph was one of the youngest of his family, that likely most of his brothers have already passed away. If Joseph is, is 110, most of his older brothers have probably already passed away. So he's likely talking about their, like, like his nephews and, and their, their uh, like he's talking way into the future. He speaks of his brothers um, in a way that um, what he says is almost the exact same thing that Jacob said to him. Jacob said, I'm about to die, but God will be with you. And Joseph says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. He will come. Joseph's body is giving away, but his faith is not giving way. Joseph so confidently knows that God will deliver him that he even instructs his coffin to go with the people when God delivers them. I love it. He's like, I'm going to be on standby and I'm going to be ready. And, and we read in the book of Exodus, they 400 years later take his coffin and bury it in Shechem, uh, in Canaan, in, in what will be Israel. And uh, God will raise up Moses to lead the people 400 years after this. Joseph knows the story of his life is not over. God is going to keep working. God is going to keep moving. He's going to keep making his promises come to pass. God will keep being present with the people. And Joseph knows that his story isn't over. And there's an incredible quote um, from this section, a, a commentary that I've, I've been, one of the commentaries I've been reading throughout the book of Genesis is by a guy named Alan P. Ross. It's called Creation and Blessing. It's a beautiful work. Um, and uh, I, I had to share this, this quote from Alan Ross um, about this last section of Genesis. Um, he says, believers are convinced that their future in God's program lies elsewhere. Their future, my future, your future, in God's program lies elsewhere. And that this current world is but part of a pilgrimage to that land. They know that God will surely visit and deliver his people in spite of death and discouragement. Those who trust the Lord to bring about his promised blessings in his own inscrutable ways will demonstrate their faith through the adverse circumstances of life. If believers wholeheartedly trust in the sovereignty of God, death will lose its power over them. And persecution and antagonism will fade into his sovereign plan providing a spirit of confidence and kindness, which I, I love that. And I, I've had to read that several times. I think we'll, we'll print this in our community group 
uh, discussion just so people can, can discuss it. Um, one of the things about our lives is we aren't people who are getting ready to become slaves for generations. We aren't people hoping to just get to Israel. We are people, though, who have been slaves to sin. We're people who have been slaves to sin, and by placing our lives in Jesus' nail-scarred hands, we are a people who are being delivered by him. God is providing salvation for us. We are waiting, we, we though, in the midst of that, are waiting for the ultimate promised land. And I, I wanna be a person like Joseph. I'd love for us to be people like Joseph. Um, I know Joseph was a broken man. He's one of the few people in scripture that we actually don't know anything negative about him. <laughs> um, it, it just, um, if, if any of us were in scripture, I think people would know plenty of negative things about us, but there's just a handful, Daniel, Joseph, that's like, yeah, I, I can't think of anything that was really a major blunder in their life. Um, and I think Joseph would be like, well, I can tell you tons of stories. Uh, they just didn't happen to appear in scripture. Um, but God can do it. He can do it in us because we're the, what he can do in Joseph's life, he can do in our life, which is authoring our faith in a way that we can trust the Lord to bring about his blessings in his way. We want to be a faithful people through all the adverse circumstances of life. With Joseph's heart through all of his ups and downs of life, would that heart be in us? That we would be trusting in the power of God, allowing death to lose its power over us. That our hearts would trust Jesus' way for us. That our hearts would trust in the power of God, allowing even death to lose its power over us. That persecution and antagonism would fade from us as, as our minds fade into his sovereign plan for our lives. And that, that would provide a spirit of confidence and kindness. Wouldn't that be an interesting way for our church to be described? Those are our confident, kind people. We see this in Joseph. It's how Joseph is described that he is confident, not in himself. He's confident in his God at the end of the book of Genesis. And he's so kind to those who are actually expecting his wrath. His confidence in God lets him be kind to those who are expecting his wrath. God has become so big in Joseph's life that there isn't room for unforgiveness. And God's people will need this example forever. <laughs> I need this example today. You need this example today for us to actually be confident in God people who can be kind to those who are expecting our wrath. And really, that's the table. That is the communion table, which there's an invitation. This is, was Jesus' design, an invitation to come confidently, to commune with him. He has opened the way. What Jesus did in his life, in his death, in his resurrection was to open a huge invitation to us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's to my knowledge, the only prayer in scripture that God promises he will say yes 
The second it's prayed. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You'll be saved from your sins. You'll be saved from his wrath that is justifiable. And that all poured out on Jesus on the cross. And that we can come confidently to him and not meet wrath, but meet kindness. True kindness as we commune with Jesus. And Lord, I I pray that you would give us just the ability to do that. And if there are people in this room who don't know if they believe that Jesus, that you are really for them, that Jesus, you're really willing to forgive them of that much, of everything, that Jesus, even if you're real or um, that this is real for them, not just other people, um, God, wherever anybody's at, for someone who has been walking with you for decades and just, Lord, needs to meet with you in a special way to have their confidence in you boosted and to receive your kindness towards them. Um, Lord, we want to just truly commune with you. We want to truly commune with you right now. Jesus, we pray, give us the grace to do that. Amen. Um, I, I would encourage us all to commune with Jesus, to, to meet with Jesus. Um, if, if you have not met him as your savior, I would encourage you to either do that now or just to pray about that. It'd be like, God, is that what you want me to do with my life? Make that clear to me. Um, if, if it is clear to you that Jesus is your savior, um, confidently, please come to the table and our dear friends, Tanner and Kim, are going to be serving us um, this morning, and that'll be a gift to us as well. And, um, and so let's, let's commune with Jesus together.